Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. How did the Joker from the Dark Knight get his scars? Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to the show. We have a very special episode. We decided we should have a conversation about the fascinating topic of how the Joker in Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight film got his scars. I think that the Joker is hands down one of the greatest and most interesting villains we've ever had on screen in film history, brought to life, obviously, by the great Heath Ledger, who passed away shortly after his performance. And to this day, even after we've gotten a few other Joker performances, which Joaquin Phoenix also won an Oscar for. Even th with that great performance, I still don't see anyone ever touching what Heath did in The Joker. And one of the greatest parts about the character is, of course, the facial scars. And the character design in general, in addition to having these intense facial scars, just opting for kind of this, like, war paint white makeup that Heath Ledger was applying himself, working with the makeup department to get this great character design. And I just love this film in general from The Dark Knight, what Christopher Nolan did with grounding Batman in that universe in reality. And I think that that thematic uh, consistency of making this as real as possible led them to making the decision to creating Joker's smile with intense facial scarring, which I thought was so fascinating. It's been done a like somewhat like this in comics before, but generally the Joker has just obviously been known for having this wide ear-to-ear -ear grin. And I think it was such a brilliant idea and concept to make this grotesque and brutal smile being a scar that was constant and forever on his face. And it's also really ironic because the Joker in The Dark Knight he has this constant smile from the scar with the war paint and the makeup on top of it. When you watch him on screen, he's a deeply disturbed person. He's very unhappy, troubled. So it's a little ironic that he has a constant smile on his face, even though he's severely disturbed. And they did an excellent job with the marketing campaign of the film in, in by throwing this idea and the theme and the physicality of the Joker's face into the actually billboards, posters what have you. And some of the first images that we saw were there was this out of focus image of the Joker and he painted on a bloody smile on like a piece of glass in front of him. He was out of focus, focus, but the smile was focused and it said, why so serious? And so they were putting this, this uh, iconography into the marketing from day one, which really added a lot of curiosity about this interpretation of the Joker. Also, I mean, having the bloody smile with that interesting question, why so serious? It made the it made it feel like it was more adult compared to what we'd seen before on film. Obviously, the graphic novels and comics had gotten very dark, uh, but we hadn't seen that in movies really for the Joker. And so we knew right off the bat, like there was something really curious about what we we're gonna see. And then the anticipation for the final tr for the trailer of the Dark Knight, and we got to finally hear his voice and see him act. It was just honestly mind blowing to see that that trailer in theaters and seeing Heath Ledger perform as the Joker in this way that we never seen before. And then I, I remember seeing just like the facial scars and the bloody smile ripped whipped whipped across his face and I thought it was really great how they got rid of the chemical vat storyline. It's not that his skin's been stained and his red lips have been stained and his hair's green from the chemicals. It's that he's putting this makeup on himself. 
Uh, and I think one of the greatest elements to the Joker in Chris Nolan's film is uh, we don't know anything about him. We don't know his backstory. That's what really makes the character work because, I mean, we're so used to origin stories, even for even for villains of movies, we're going to get why are they motivated, why are they doing this, what happened to them when they were younger, what happened to them to cause them to become an antagonist or what have you. And it's just like, it's... And I think it's better in a lot of ways when you don't know anything and they just show up. The Joker just shows up into Gotham out of nowhere and he starts causing destruction and mayhem. And if you if Nolan had if Nolan and his brother had written this intense traumatic backstory about why the Joker is the way he is, it would have taken away from the monstrous evil that he was and uh, this connection that we get to people when you show their origins and it makes you humanize with them if they had if they had shown his backstory it would have made us connect with him on a, a human level in some capacity obviously he's a killer and stuff but i mean if we know more about him as a human being we'll look at him as a human being so i thought it was smart to be like we're not going to tell you anything about this character he's just here fully fledged and he's this monstrous human being. You're not going to know anything besides that. And that really keeps the audience from ever connecting with him. I absolutely agree. I think if they had the origin of the Joker in this movie, even snippets of it, it would have taken, it would have had us humanized with the audience, which you're talking about, would have taken away some of his frightening and threatening qualities. He wouldn't be as imposing. You're kind of feeling empathy towards him. It's not the same character. He's now, he's just like this, this monster. And that's what, I think they were trying to do with these stories that he tells in The Dark Knight. So the Joker tells two stories about the origins of his scars. He almost tells a third one, but he gets cut off by Batman. And <laughs> I know how you got these. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I love these two stories that he tells, and I can only imagine, we can only imagine what the third one would have been like. And these, obviously, there's no confirmation that they're true. And uh, all probabilities is they're completely false. And we'll get into why he tells these stories what the origins of these stories are. Origins. But I'd love to just run through the stories and quote him from the movies if that's cool with you. Go for it, man. I think you have a pretty good Joker impression, Thanks. too. Thanks. I'll try. Now, now the pressure's on. But the first story is when he's talking to Gamble after he fakes his death to be captured by Gamble's men to infiltrate his gang and then take Gamble out and then start recruiting his own men for his his anarchist, chaotic group that's going to take over Gotham. So the first story goes like this. My father was a drinker and a fiend. And one night he goes off crazier than usual. Mommy gets the kitchen knife to defend herself. He doesn't like that. Not one bit. So, me watching, he takes the knife to her, laughing while he does it, turns to me, and he says, Why so serious? Comes at me with the knife. Why so serious? He sticks the knife, he sticks the blade in my mouth. Let's put a smile on that face. And, turns to Gamble, why so serious? Then kills Gamble off screen. Mm -hmm. So what we're learning from this story, if it's true, obviously it's probably not, is that his father was abuser, abusive, a drinker, and attacked them multiple times and gave him these scars. And you can maybe, if you believe this story, he's gotten, he's he's got so much emotional trauma from his father from this abusive relationship that that's what's turned him into the Joker, and that's how he got his scars. And you can look at all the stories as a metaphor for bigger ideas. And a metaphor you can look at for this story is that this could be basically a parallel for him probably being abused and battered by people who were supposed to protect him. A father is looked at as a protector, and the father abuses him in the story. That doesn't necessarily mean that he had an abusive father, but it could be, you know, a metaphor for society abusing him, for abandoning him, 
for institutions that you are supposed to trust and rely on abusing him and, and battering him. So I think that even though he's specifically naming a father in the story, the father, you could say, is a, a, a metaphor and a parallel for um, things in the real world that could have had this effect on him. Society. Society, yeah. You can assume that the Joker's been institutionalized multiple times. Obviously, the lore and the canon of Joker has him in institutions multiple times. Even in Joker, the TV show, I mean the film, the TV show. Great TV show. Sorry, Joaquin the Phoenix. Series. <laughs> he's He spent his entire life in institutions having mental health issues, and that's a great exploration of that character and how society has failed him, institutions have failed him. And that's, you know, a theme of that film, what happens when society abandons people like this what are they supposed to do so i think that's a great metaphor that you bring up yeah now, but i would say i don't think he had an abusive father it's a i think it's a complete lie yeah. and we're gonna get into why he tells these lies in a little bit oh yeah now on to story two this happens in the dark night when bruce is throwing that fundraiser for harvey dent and joker shows up looking for harvey dent but stumbles across first that old elder man who uh, he's like, you remind me of my father. I hated my father. And then he gets Maggie Gyllenhaal's character, Rachel Dawes, and understands who she is immediately. Well, so this is the story number two. Well, hello, beautiful. You must be Harvey Squeeze, and you are beautiful. Oh, you look nervous. Is it the scars? Want to know how I got them? Come here. Look at me. So, I had a wife who was beautiful, like you, who tells me I worry too much, who tells me I ought to smile more, who gambles and gets in deep with the sharks. One day, they carve her face up, and we got no money for surgeries. She can't take it. I just want her to see her smile again. I just want her to let her know I don't care about the scars. So, I stick a razor in my mouth, and I do this to myself. And you know what? She can't stand the sight of me. She leaves. Now... I see the funny side. Now I'm always smiling. Another great disturbing story. And obviously I don't believe this one to be true either. I don't think anyone does like all of the stories. But it does have a parallel just like the first story. I think that this story represents Joker's disconnect from other people, other human beings, and from societal norms. So something that he finds amusing and romantic. Like he's making a romantic gesture to his wife. He thinks that it'll make her feel better. He thinks that, like, oh, this will solve the problem. At least we'll both be scarred rather than being able to get you surgery to fix your face. And so he's he's making, like, in his mind, uh, a, a loving gesture, but it ends up being grotesque and disturbing and just messed up. In his mind, that's how, that's how his mind works. Like, he thinks that he was doing something romantic. And this shows that his personality and attitudes are as far from normal human beings as possible. He just does not fit in with the world and being uh, some kind of sociopathic uh, killer, what have you, whatever his diagnosis is, he is not a normal human being. And what he, and I think that Todd Phillips did a good job of showcasing uh, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker of when he's uh, watching the stand-up show and he's not laughing when the audience is laughing, and then he is laughing when the audience isn't laughing when they're watching the other comics. So what he finds funny, other people don't. And what other people find funny, he doesn't find funny. So I think that you can compare that to the Joker in this film where something that he finds is romantic and loving and, and a moving gesture is absolutely something horrible and terrible. Now, the third story of the film 
almost takes place. This is on almost. that skyscraper after Batman's defeated all of Joker's thugs. But the Joker has trapped Batman. He's got that big piece of metal on top of him, and he's bragging. He's been, but he's also been proven wrong that he thought that one of the boats would have blown the other boat up. He thought that people were as dark and as evil and corrupt and chaotic as him, and he thought that they would end up trying to save themselves, either the boat of convicts or the boat of civilians. And Batman's like, who just got proven wrong? <laughs> the whole city of Gotham showed you who they truly are. Something People like- ready to believe in good. <laughs> <laughs> you're alone. <laughs> you do a good Joker. I do a good Batman. Yeah, your Batman's great. <laughs> <laughs> so Joker has lost a little bit of hope in his mission and what he thought would happen with this situation. He's like, you know what? Sometimes you got to do everything yourself. And he's about to pull the trigger. But then he stops. He hesitates. Then he has to kind of gloat in Batman's face because this is something that he can't get rid of, his, his obsession with his own pride. And I think that's one of the reasons why he tells this, these stories. And he goes to Batman before he blows up one of the boats. Reminds me, you want to know how I got these scars? And he's about to go into a story, but Batman cuts him off. No. Go ahead. I know how you got these. <laughs> <laughs> and Batman hits him with the side knives on the side of his arm. The gauntlet your, knives, your gauntlet yeah. knives, throws him Side off the knives. building, and then catches him with the <laughs> he no, had the a gauntlet. Kid, he had a kitchen knife on uh, his belt. Uh, what, is, what do you call those? <laughs> gauntlet. Well, they're just like gauntlet. forearm, forearm blades. Yeah, blades. Blades. And then catches him with the gatling gun. Gauntlet obviously. blades. <laughs> Why can't you just say gauntlet? Is that what it is? Yeah, the wrist thingy. Yeah, I don't know. Something Anyways, like the blades, the forearm blades. <laughs> I think, and catches him, and then saves his life. My theory is that Joker would have told him the truth. Maybe my theory is that when Joker was about to tell Batman how he got the scars. He would have told Batman the truth because he saw him and Batman as equals, and he saw he, him and Batman as two sides of the same coin and had a connection to Batman. So I think that if he had given been given a little bit more time, he would have revealed the, tr- the real truth about his scars. It's similar to Riddler and the Batman where he looks at him and Batman as equals, as partners in crime. Obviously, the joke in the Dark Knight alludes to what you're talking about with the two sides of the same coin. He was a response of Batman, just like the Riddler was a response of Batman in the Batman movie. Joker was a response of the Dark Knight and Batman in that world of Gotham. He wouldn't be who he is with them. You, you want to know how how crazy Batman's made Gotham? Yeah. So I, I think that's a great point. And let's say he was about to tell him the truth. What do you think the truth would have been? Oh, good question. I think the truth of the Joker's scars would have been they were inflicted on him when he was younger um, because I think that he was created from uh, one horrible experience. I don't think it was any of the stories that he's told, but I think it was definitely some experience. And I think that also maybe to this point he can't even possibly possibly he can't even remember exactly what happened. He's just gone so mad, so he just create he's created these stories these different versions of events and as like a, maybe a subconscious coping mechanism to the fact that he doesn't even know the truth anymore. And it's just the stories. I, I look at the Joker in this film as he's making these stories as a way of like building his reputation and spreading fear amongst the others by uh, rumors and, and rep and, and legends and mythos about him uh, to build his rep in Gotham City as like the new Prince of, of crime and so the spreading of these different stories 
enables that so that it's like rumors people rumor spreading rumors amongst themselves kind of like how they're talking about him in the opening bank robbery in the car they're spreading this these different rumors about joker he's probably said these stories about war paint or what have you about the makeup to other p- criminals and other people around gotham in the weeks or months leading up to this so now there's already been rumors spread about him that he started and so he's just always starting rumors and these false stories about him to get people talking about him Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I completely agree with that part in terms of why he's telling the stories of it, building the mythos, building the rep, and spreading rumors to increase that kind of legend quality of who the Joker is in the criminal underworld of Gotham. You know, every time he tells a different story, some of his cronies are listening in the background in the same room. They tell some people, and the stories keep spreading, keep getting more fantasized until, you know, like you said, that's a great point in the opening bank robbery. They're all telling little bits of exposition and rumors and kind of gossip about who the Joker is. This guy thinks he can plan the whole thing and take all the money. So I think that's a really excellent point, Anthony. Thanks, man. However, (laughs) I don't think that the scars were given to him by someone else. I think Joker, the Joker, gave himself those scars. So self-mutilation. I see him, obviously, the thematic element of the Dark Knight is chaos. Batman begins its fear, Dark Knight's chaos, and then Dark Knight Rises is pain. pain. Those are the three main themes of the three movies. And you can see that with each of the villains and also the storyline and plots of the, of the structure of the movies and characters. And chaos is something that Joker is obsessed with creating constantly. You know, he's always, he's an agent of chaos. He's always obsessed with introducing a little anarchy. And I see the scars as sort of something that he could have gave himself, or I think he did give himself, as a means to sort of give himself a bulletproof vest, to feel invincible, to leave his humanity behind, to become somebody else, to be the counter to Batman in this Gotham City. He sees opportunity in Gotham City. He sees it crumbling, and he sees he could potentially gain power. He could potentially make the city and see, change the world to see to how he sees fit. He's obsessed with proving these schemers wrong. All these schemers. I'm just I'm like a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do if I caught one. So I think that obsession with creating chaos is something he did to himself self-mutilating himself to become the Joker. And that's why I think he's a really ironic character, why he chose to do a smile because he's so deeply disturbed and depressed and finding and lost in life. And he does a smile to look and appear happy, which is the exact opposite of him, which I think was a decision that he purposely made. So I think that Joker gave it to himself to become who he is. That's a good... That's to a, transcend. That's a pretty good point. Some good stuff right there. But I would say that... Based upon his actions and what his main goal is, I think that so the Joker. I think his main goal is to sh- show Gotham citizens, the, the citizens of Gotham, that they're just as like once anarchy and chaos is introduced, they'll eat each other. Is what he says, and so they'll fall into the same madness that he fell into. And so, in a way, I look at him. He was a victim of something, so now he's making everyone else a victim of himself, so that he can make them as crazy as him. 
Because my my guess is that something terrible happened to him, and that made him crazy. That made him fall into madness, and caused his scars. And now his scars. He's he's using his his victimhood. He's using the the results of whatever happened to him. This horrible facial scarring, and he's turning it into his advantage by making a smile out of it, and turning it into this basically this symbol. Same thing that Bruce Wayne did, creating a symbol of Batman, Joker, whoever the person's name is he created the joker as a symbol out of the trauma and the pain that he experienced um, from whatever happened to him and so now he thinks that since this terrible thing happened to him scarred him it turned him to madness he thinks that everyone's just like him so that if everyone else experiences pain if everyone else experiences trauma they'll all fall into madness and show that they're just like him so that's ultimately his my i would say his plan his motivation of not just like killing people but to the point of the boats is to say that, you know, when the chips are down, they'll eat each other. So he thinks that everyone will react in the same way to trauma that he did when he was younger with whatever happened to him. I love that point about surviving something. And that's what kind of gave him his scars or where his scars came from. And that, you know, it's making me take a step in that direction. Not completely because sold. <laughs> Joker, think of the Joker's opening sequence. You know, he's wearing a mask all the time. We hear him speak a few lines of dialogue, but then he reveals his scars to, like, the gangster of the, the gangster manager of the bank. And he says, criminals in this city used to believe in something. What do you believe in? What do you believe in? And then he takes off his mask, and then he says, I believe whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you stranger. And you look at his scars, and obviously... He has survived something so yeah, horrific that, means he's a survivor, yeah. that if not, he didn't survive and got the scars from somebody. Whatever he survived has caused his mind to go to the point to self-mutilate and become so grotesque with a smile or were a result of scarring from surviving a horrific attack. I would just say his, 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 his plans of action are attack. He's attacking, attacking, attacking. And so that makes me think that he was attacked in some way but clearly you're right because because that opening that re scar reveal line where he says wherever doesn't kill you makes you stranger reveals he survived something horrific so it helped create the persona of the joker whatever physical traumatic experience he had and i also it, it seems like from my research that it's possible that the nolans drew from the graphic novel of the killing joke because in the killing joke joker kind of alludes to the idea of his origin uh, to Batman, and I actually have a quote that the Joker says to Batman in that. So he says, All it takes is one bad day to reduce the sanest man alive to lunacy. And Joker actually does this to Harvey Dent in The Dark Knight. Just one bad thing. And he says to he says to Batman at the end, You know, madness, as you know, as you know, is like gravity. All you need is a push. So all you need is just like one terrible event for Harvey Dent. It was the it was the murder of the love of his life, Rachel, and then he falls into this madness descent of murder. And justice. Now back to the quote. That's how far the world is from where I am. Just one bad day. You had a bad day too once. Am I right? I know I am. I can tell. You had a bad day and everything changed. Why else would you dress up like a flying rat? It doesn't hide the fact. It screams it. You had a bad day and it drove you as crazy as everybody else. Only you won't admit it. You have to keep pretending that life makes sense. That there's no point to all the struggling. God, you make me want to puke. I mean, what is it with you? What made you what you are? Girlfriend killed by the mob, maybe? Brother carved up by some mugger? Something like that, I bet. Something like that, I know. 
because something like that happened to me, you know. I'm not exactly sure what it was. Sometimes I remember it one way, sometimes another. If I'm going to have a past, I prefer it to be multiple choice. Ha 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 ha. But my point is, I went crazy. When I saw what a black, awful joke the world was, I went crazy as a coot. And I'm smart enough to admit it, so why can't you? I like that a lot. I like how you brought up the killing joke. You know, that's a really great comic if anyone hasn't read it before. I highly recommend checking it out. Because every, I think, 21st century adaptation of Batman live action has drawn inspiration from the killing joke. Especially with Joker involved. Except for Suicide Squad. So every... (laughs) (laughs) And what I like about, especially Joker and especially Dark Knight, specifically because they obviously focus on the Joker heavily, I think... Oh, not... Yeah, because that story is about, you know, Arthur Fleck, who is a stand-up comedian. He's trying to be a comedian, just like in Joker the movie, but he's failed. He's failing. He's bad at it. No one laughs at his jokes. He's got a pregnant wife at home who he can't support. And his wife is, like, losing hope in him, and he's losing hope in himself, and he's getting more manic until he takes that job to help some people rob a plant he used to work with. He, he was an engineer there, and they have an idea of stealing from it. And that's yeah. where he falls into the vat. The vat yeah. And so I, I like that concept really well and how you can just lose your mind or all you need is one, one bad day to be pushed over the edge. And so, so that's a great connection that you made there, pal. Thanks, and, man. <laughs> but also... The inspiration for Joker's scarring clearly comes from Scotland and what is known as the Chelsea smile from the Headhunters gang during specifically the Industrial Revolution in Glasgow, Scotland. This is a scar that these these gang members would give give their victims uh, an ear-to-ear smile with a knife from the corners of their mouth. And they're actually... Actors that are pretty famous that have these, obviously. Oh, Thomas, the guy from Thomas from, Flanagan. Yeah, Sin City. Yeah, Thomas Flanagan, yeah. right? Is that his name? He. Sin City. Gladiator. Yeah. Sin and, City, yeah. And Glad- also Gladiator. Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. He had that happen to him when he was 20. He was leaving like a club in Scotland and he got jumped by a gang and they gave him that scarring, which actually is one of the reasons that made him commit to and, and be inspired to become an actor. And it obviously gave him that look that like makes him fit a lot of specific roles super well. Yeah. And obviously being a talented actor and everything. So it's actually got roots in reality, the scars that either Joker gives himself or receives from somebody else, the Glasgow smile, the Chelsea smile, whatever you want to call it. And I love in The Dark Knight uh, during the assassination attempt on the mayor during the parade, when you get to see just for two shots and for probably a second of footage in total, you get to see Joker without the makeup and you see Heath Ledger's face and you see the scars and you're like, oh my God, they really are there. I remember just being shook when I saw his bare face because the bare face shows that he's a human being, but the scars are still there. You know what I mean? So even though he looks human, he's still the Joker without the makeup on. Yeah, I like the scarring. I think it works better than Jack Nicholson's Joker with the Tim Burton the franchise. The frozen smile. Which I think I, is, I like the theory it's, of it's it. It's awesome. I like that. It just takes you. It takes the realism out of it, but that's what they're going for with this one. That's why the facial but, scarring. But that's, that is to lore in some Batman exactly. comics, Joker having a frozen smile. So that works for, I think Jack Nicholson made a really interesting choice by having the frozen smile for him. I, th- I like that. And when we go back to these stories, the two that we've heard, there are, there are similarities, and I think specifically, you were talking about the first one with your protection, the people who are supposed to protect you, letting you down and abusing you. 
than the wife letting like letting you down and and not accepting you. It's just always being let down. It's also a lack of love. He's got no love from his father. He has no love from his wife anymore. So maybe a lack of love additionally drove him to madness. Well, isn't it the isn't it true that serial killers are formed? Well, I mean, it's scientifically, basically, facts. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not. So the thing You're is, not born a serial killer. The thing is, like, yeah, he could have, he could have self mutilated himself, but he still had to have been formed in some way. If if it wasn't one heinous act, it could have been abuse as a child. He could have survived something that pushed him to cause, 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 cause himself up. You know what I mean? Because I'm because it made him stranger. Because it's not like he was born evil. People aren't born evil, but their uh, serial killers are more often than not, if not always, like products of their environment. If that's, no, that's yeah, fact. That's yeah. fact. Yeah, absolutely true. So you could say that he had he if it wasn't just one moment, which but I think it was one crazy instant. Uh, it could have been an, enchi- an entire childhood of of abuse and trauma that it's led possible. to him. Yeah. But I think a lack of love is prevalent in both the stories he tells. Yeah, then that's in Joker as well in in the film Joker. And I also just love the concept of not knowing the truth and not knowing the origin of Joker. I think it adds so much to the character. It's such a strong thing to do because people are obsessed with origin stories, as we all know. Yeah, even even Joker is an origin story. And you know how kind of sick of origin stories we are on this show, and you just got to deal with it. It is what it is. Sometimes we get great ones like Joker, but then sometimes we get really disappointing ones like Uncharted in the new <laughs> Tomb Raider films. Like, why not just start off with the character who they are? And that's what one of the greatest strengths of the character of Joker, and that's why he's comparable to characters like Anton Chigurh. Yeah. And Hannibal Lecter in The Sounds of the Lambs. These characters, we're not seeing their origins. They are already who they're supposed to be, which is why they're so frightening. That's why they're such powerful villains. That's why they'll live on forever because they're not origin stories. Yeah, I think Joker, you get a pass because we've seen like a dozen performances of the Joker. So then it's like, okay, what's the origin? Whereas a lot of all of IPs nowadays, the first thing the studio is doing is the origin story. Whereas we we got joker as joker many times before we didn't see the origin so i think there was i get you get a pass for joker for showing a complete film being an origin story in the the batman the riddler is the riddler we get his origin story exposition with his dialogue with the batman and also paul dano making his comic book debut writing the origin comic of the riddler we don't have to put in the movie here we go here's some other material some other source material if you really are interested on where that character came from but i don't need that background and I don't I I guarantee I guarantee not even Nolan or Heath Ledger had an origin like a real origin. I think I guarantee they didn't even have one. I'm I'm guessing Heath might have in his diaries and his character background. I know a lot of actors do that. They'll kind of write descriptions of where they came from. I could see him potentially doing that or formal, formulating something in his mind. But I I like that we don't know it or yeah, never discover it. I doubt that. But I, I just want to point something out. Just popped in my head. People. Remember there was this photo of him doing like a heel flip over Batman. Oh, yeah. Like a kick flip over Batman. Not, not real. It's all it's photoshopped. That that's actually just a, a still f- taken from this is a photograph on set taking while they were performing that scene and someone photoshopped the skateboard there. So that Heath Ledger wasn't really like skateboarding a kickflip over a Christian Bale it, while yeah. filming. <laughs> it's the scene where he's freaking out, he's jumping around in the air yeah, because exactly. the Batman's on the ground and probably yeah. like right after someone gets zapped. Chris Nolan would not allow a People skateboarding on his set, let alone Heath Ledger to do a kickflip over Christian Bale. <laughs> that's ridiculous. In costume, it's a funny looking photo, but I think a lot of people think it's real. That's not. I saw it yesterday. I'm like, that's not real. It's photoshopped. <laughs> yes, Heath Ledger skateboarded, but 
Nolan would never let him like let someone skateboard during a take. You know what I mean? He's all business, you know. I want to get back into why he tells these stories. I love the, and I agree with his concept of building his reputation. But also, I Joker, he loves to play with his prey. He likes to play games. Everything's kind of just this dark, disturbing, evil game with well, no he, rules. He likes making them feel fear. Exactly. So, so that help the stories help build fear so for them. Yeah, he's he's playing with that and building the fear in his characters, in his people he's about to torment, and that's part of the fun. Also, an interrogation tactic as well. He's just bringing fear to gamble for pleasure. He's going to kill that guy, but he's just doing it for fun. He doesn't have to tell him that story. He can just kill him and get it over with, but he's doing it to spread fear, to build his reputation with everyone who's watching, who's going to survive the scene, whether they're in his crew or not, just to keep that legend building. And also, he tells a story to Rachel to bring fear with her, to interrogate her, to try to get some answers of where Harvey Dent is. And, and also pleasure. Yeah, and, and Nolan and Fister did a wonderful job photographing him because uh, the makeup and the, and the facial prosthetics, they look fantastic on close-ups. And Nolan waits until very specific moments to get up tight on Heath Ledger's face. You get the, the first look of the Joker is a close-up in that beautiful IMAX film and uh, you see that the scars and they're just right, they're huge on the frame, just this super tight close-up. It's actually kind of out of focus. They actually had to shoot that. They did a pickup shot of that the next day because the it wasn't quite in focus enough for Nolan Fister when they saw the daily. So then they, they shot the scene again and they got it in focus, but it wasn't as good of a take as the, the out of focus one. So they, if you look at that shot of the first reveal of Joker's face, that's out of focus. But then you get other close-ups when he brings the knife up to Gamble's face and you're really tight there. And the, the, the scars and the facial prosthetics just look fantastic with like the red makeup and the white powder all over them. And then I, I think the one of the most disturbing close-ups that just unnerves me is when he's right up to Rachel's face and first, Nolan and Fister circulate, circle them with the camera, and then he comes right up, uh, profile of each of them. And the prosthetics, they look fantastic, even on these close-ups. But I think it's smart how he doesn't do that many close-ups. It's when, it's, it's when the moments of fear are really rising, and it, when they get enticed, when, when you get in tight with the camera, and you're right there, and the scars are just staring you in the face, it just puts you on edge, and it's just so unnerving. I love the the design of the Joker in this film. It's my favorite. I think it's a fan favorite for sure. Not only does the the facial, the hair, the the facial paint, but the scarring. When he's with his victims, they are immediately disturbed. They're entering this world of anarchy and chaos and death at some point. And I think that it was such a great and intelligent and artistic direction to make them scars. In physical versus just someone with a wide smile or just a lot of makeup and just wide yeah. smile with paint. I love what they did with Joker at the end of that film with blood, increasing the, the length of the smile. I thought that was awesome. But I, I think it's important for iterations of this character especially to do something different every time. That's what they were going with Jared Leto's for the Suicide Squad. Yeah. Didn't work for most people. I get the design. Didn't love it, but I understand what they're trying to do. Because it's such an iconic character, it's been played so many times, you have to do something new. And the Batman, the Joker design looks terrifying as hell and even more grotesque and disturbing. So I'm really looking forward to Barry Kilgan's performance 
as the Joker in hopefully the Batman 2, if not the Batman 3. I also love how they saved that character, really, and waited till the next one. But Joker's one of the most fascinating yeah. villains in, in film and t- TV and comic history for a reason. Yeah, and I will say, obviously, we said the scars translate to the lack of a backstory. There are, like, people like to write theories about Joker, and they think there's evidence about him being, like, a World War II veteran. I mean, a, a Vietnam War veteran. Uh, they say that, you know, because he's good with explosives, and then I saw people saying he fired, like, this specific rifle when he shot the mayor, but it's like, that's those are just all the rifles that were there. You know, it's not like he chose that rifle. He's just trying to blend in with the rest of the officers. I think that it's not true at all, because if you look at the way he fires, especially, like, the uh, during the underground chase, the way he's firing the Uzi and the handgun, it's very just, like, casual and not, like, well-trained at all. Obviously, the rifle... He does it, it looks like he's doing it correctly, but the way he fires weapons does not look like he's been heavily trained with firearms. And also, I mean, he's just using very simple explosives of dynamite and gasoline. So I think the fact that people like to say he's a a veteran of war, I just don't see it. I think that uh, looking into the backstory, it's it's kind of pointless. I don't think there is any evidence of him having a real backstory of, of who he was and what formed him. And that was the whole point of Nolan and Ledger's uh, interpretation of the Joker to not have the backstory and the scars are the scars and their stories are uh, definitely uh, evidence of that. He's also kind of young to be a World War. I mean, a, a Vietnam War vet. Yes, people were saying specifically Vietnam War. I'm you have like, to be oh. in his fifties, yeah, probably, right? Because yeah. if this came out in 2010, he'd probably be yeah in his in his fifties. About yeah. if he's if he was younger during the Vietnam War in the mm-hmm. 1970s and 80s, right? Yeah. So I, yeah, I don't see him being a, a Vietnam War vet. Or it's maybe 2008. War... This film. Yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah, that's why I said, bro. You said 2010. No, I didn't. Oh, well, I thought you did. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I get, I like how people have theories about everything, but, hey, you can believe whatever, whatever you want. I don't see a, a Vietnam war, war vet, a war vet being a characteristic of the Joker. Like you said, the explosives are just gasoline and dynamite. Anyone can make a bomb yeah. from that with just enough he's research. He's just really smart. Yeah, he's just a smart guy. Yeah, he's, he's smart. intelligent. And I, I think it's a great point with the way he fires guns. And, I mean... Like, like if he was really trained, he wouldn't be shooting like that. Yeah, like he's shooting, like the way he's shooting the shotgun and the way he's shooting the Uzis, just like sticking his arm out, like yeah. whatever. He's having fun. He's chaotic. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I think that he's he doesn't look like he's highly trained. And sometimes he's like doing the triggers, like it doesn't work. And so yeah. like if he was really an an ammunition and explosives expert, he wouldn't even had that fudge up with the explosives at the hospital. At the hospital, yeah, exactly. That would have been that would have gone off immediately. Yeah, he just probably has experience from playing around with them and practicing and just blowing stuff up for fun. Yeah, for sure. I think so too. All right, you got anything else on the Joker and how we got his scars? No, I think that was that was a good chat. It was fun. I think that you know it's the best interpretation of the Joker we've ever seen on film, and I I honestly don't think it can ever be topped as good as Joaquin was. And and it's not just that it was like Joaquin's not as good of an actor. I think it's just what Nolan and Ledger tapped into with this interpretation was just so incredible. And for me, I, I just really love it. It's just one of the best characters we've seen on screen ever. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast. We're going to start trying to do some more fun movie episodes on Fridays that are just kind of centered around a theme of a movie. 
or a plot. And so I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We're also trying to change up the schedule a little bit. I think Mondays we're going to start focusing on TV. Thursdays will always be a main movie episode. Wednesdays, weekly chat. But I think Fridays will always be a thematic element from a film, just breaking it down and just exploring something rather than talking about an entire movie in depth, just breaking down one aspect of a character or a film. And audio only on Fridays. Yeah, so yeah. this is something new we're, we're trying to adapt and start trying to increase. Mix it up. Yeah, just trying to do something a little different, you know, ad- adapt or die, you know. Getting wild, yeah, getting crazy. Got to get those those views up. We don't want to plateau. We want to do some something a little interesting, but I think infusing a lot more TV as well as some more specific movie episodes should be a lot more fun. I think it was a great idea. Become a patron today at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the best way to support us. And even at that $10 tier, you get access to our Discord where we've built an incredible film community. We chat with you every day on there. So we can't wait to see you on there. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take care. See you next time. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.